We are resuming Hebrews this morning. If you haven't been with us this past fall, we began a, a long study and we're continuing that study of a book of the New Testament called Hebrews. And since we've been away from this during Advent and we were away from it last week, let me just give you a quick catch up. If you don't, if you don't know anything about Hebrews, it's in the New Testament. It, uh, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. It's been received from earliest days as part of the New Testament scriptures, the canon as we call it. But we don't know exactly who wrote it. There have been some good guesses, but we don't know. The, the target audience is a group of people who are ethnically Jewish, Jewish in their practice. They have been exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've heard the good news. They've, they've initially responded to it with professions of faith. But either through further reflection or because someone else has come in and taught other things, they're considering going back to Judaism, straight up. Uh, so they'll still believe in God. They'll still believe in the law of Moses. They'll still believe in the Old Testament prophets. But they're thinking about, you know, not so much faith in Jesus as the Messiah as going back to the Old Covenant. And the writer writes these folks to say, nothing and no one is greater than Jesus. Nothing and no one and there is no way to God but through Jesus. That is, that, that is the drum that, that the writer beat. So we left off with chapter 10 before Advent. And I'm going to pick up at the end of chapter 10. But if you want to know what the big theme of, Jesus, uh, of Hebrews is, it, the big theme is Jesus. Jesus is superior. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer. Uh, before I read the passage, let me... Let me throw this out to you. I, at one point, there was an evangelism sort of strategy, methodology that a lot of churches taught and used. It was just, you know, if you don't know how, if you're a Christian and you want to talk to a, a non-Christian coworker or neighbor or friend about Jesus and you don't know how to start and it's awkward, here's just sort of a way to learn how to do it, how to talk about it, how to cover the main things. And this methodology said... You want to start with two questions, and you can ask anybody these questions. The first question would be, do you know for certain that you have eternal life? Now, do you know for certain that if you die, you'll go to heaven? Okay, that's the first one. The second question was, if you were to die and to stand before God, and he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Now, just those two questions might already have your wheel spinning, but I had a friend who, he used that methodology a lot, but he ministered in the Deep South, and he said, you know, I think we should add on a special Southern Bible Belt edition third question. And the special Southern Bible Belt edition third question, because he said, when you've got people who've grown up in the church, and they've been around the Bible, and they've been around teaching, they can sort of be parrots. Like they can just kind of say things that they've heard. That's a parrot's mouth. They can just kind of say things they've heard people say. So they can kind of, they might know, oh, well, if he said, why should I let you in? I might say, because your son died on the cross for my sins. So the special Southern Bible Belt third edition question would be, well, then what if God said, well, so what? What, what does that have to do with you? That was my son dying. How does that affect you? 
Because what he's asking is, yeah, my son did do that. Jesus did do those things. He lived, he died, he rose. But does that just fix everybody? Does that fix certain people? If it fixes certain people, why them? How does that thing that happened 2,000 years ago affect you? Okay, I want that question really in the front of your mind as we come to Hebrews chapter 11. So let's pick up at the end of chapter 10 and start in chapter 11 of Hebrews. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that The universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for the word. Thank you that you use real people and put on their hearts the very thing that you wanted us to have and that it can have their personality in it and yet it is your word thank you that you've preserved it thank you that it's come to us thank you that we have translations in our language and tons and tons of access to it But, Father, we still need you to open our ears and open our hearts. So we pray that you would do that. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, Have you ever had a friend or maybe a family member that they just maybe they had done so much and they had experienced so many things that it was just it's really hard to wow them about anything. You ever known someone like that? Like they've just been to so many places, they've done so many things, or maybe they're so good at so many things, it's just hard to share something with them that wows them, which makes you want to find something to wow them. Uh, I remember at one point 
when, uh, when I was living in St. Louis, uh, my, my pastor is a very accomplished hunter. And so I go hunting, and I, I get nothing. And he goes hunting, and he always gets something. And uh, just kind of across the board, big game, small game, everything. And so I, I just remember he would share the most incredible stories about when he would go hunting. And, uh, and I had no stories. So I remember I, this friend of mine told me that he was dove hunting and uh, a dove was coming right at him, and it was at just the right speed and just the right arc that when he shot this dove, it died, and he caught the dove that he... Sorry about that. He, sound effects. He caught the dove that he shot, and I thought, okay, I've never heard of that in my life. And so, like, I didn't do it, but I'm going to tell him about that because he loves hunting, and, and I think that, that will impress him. And so... Next time I saw my pastor, I said, listen, you're not going to believe what this friend told me. He's out dove hunting. This dove's coming in just the right speed, just the right trajectory, pops it, and he caught the dove that he shot, to which my pastor said, man, that is something. I've only done that a couple of times in my whole life. (laughs) Forget it. Which I know was was true. Um, When I think about you know, people, I just think that must have been the experience of the apostles with Jesus. And I don't mean that Jesus in any way was arrogant or full of himself, quite the opposite. But I just mean they just saw him do such one-of-a-kind things, that he would heal people, that he would raise the dead, that he would produce food from a few fish and a few pieces of bread. How do you impress Jesus? And did you know that in the Gospels, There's only two times where it says that Jesus was wowed about something. Where it says that Jesus marveled at something. Now that should make you curious about, if you can raise the dead, if you can read people's minds, if you can produce food out of almost no food for thousands, what wows you? Now, I'm going to tell you the second one in a bit, but let me tell you the first one. The first one was, was when Jesus went back to his hometown of Nazareth. And he looked around at the townspeople that he grew up with, and they don't believe in him. And it said he marveled at their unbelief. He said, it's, in fact, this is actually a confusing passage. It says... He could only do a few miracles there. That messes with us. He could only do a few miracles of healing there because of their unbelief. He marveled at their unbelief. There's something about us that in the face of God showing us things, revealing things, Becoming man and coming to us, that our hearts can be so stubborn and dark and unbending that it actually makes God incarnate go, Wow, you just will not believe. And I want to war against that this morning. Uh, I can't make you have faith. And and here's, here's the mystery. You can't make you have faith. Faith is a gift. But the thing that is at the heart of the good news 
is that you and I are not made right with God by what we do. We're made right with God by what someone else does. But how do I get the benefit of what someone else did? We get it through faith. So there's nothing more important that we could talk about. And the writer of Hebrews certainly leans into it. So let's, let's think about this. What faith is and what faith produces. I'm calling this Faith 101. What faith is and what faith produces. Now, this is really great because the Bible does not often define its terms. And chapter 11, verse 1 actually is the Bible's definition of faith. So let's listen carefully. Chapter 11, verse 1. What is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, I don't know how that hits you, but what, what I'm concerned is that it, the way it hits you is that it sounds like your positive friend who always sees the sunny side of things. Like, wow, it has rained for 30 days. Well, maybe it's going to be sunny tomorrow. I hope it'll be sunny tomorrow. That's not what this text is saying. And it was interesting. One New Testament scholar said, you could translate the Greek this way. Faith is the reality of things hoped for. And get this, the evidence that proves things not seen. I looked in another place, one of the greatest classical Greek scholars of the 20th century translated the New Testament. He translates it as saying that faith is the proof of things not seen. Strong language. It it is the language of not kind of pie in the sky, I sure hope so, but a disposition of the heart that knows this is true and it's real and it receives it as such. Um, Two big targets of faith. Let me read it again. There's the assurance of or the reality of things hoped for, the conviction of or the evidence that proves the things not seen. So the, the two big places where faith aims is things that have not yet happened, things that are not yet seen. Those are the two big objects of faith. Things that have not yet happened. If it's happened, you don't need faith. You know it because it's in the past. Things that have not yet happened, things that are not yet seen. We live by faith, not by what fills in the blank. Sight. If you can see it, you don't need faith. So here's a, here's a working definition. Faith is a response of the heart. Now, when I say heart, don't think emotions only. It includes emotions. The heart is the real you and me. The heart is the command center of our whole lives. Whatever you're saying, the real you, that's your heart. Faith is a response of the heart which not only assents to or agrees with, but trusts and acts upon what God reveals. Let me say it again. Faith is a response of the heart which not only assents to or agrees with, but trusts and acts upon what God has revealed. Uh, is, it, is faith passive 
Or is faith active? And as far as I can tell biblically, the answer is yes. Let me, let me try to give an analogy. Now, no analogy is perfect, so this one has problems with it, but, but here's, here's an analogy. I'm seeing more and reading more and hearing more about uh, people using fasting for their overall health. Like you'll hear people talk about intermittent fasting, periodic uh, fasting, and it's not really for like religious reasons or contemplative reasons or penitential reasons. It's, it's just part of health. All right, if you practice intermittent fasting, let's say that you say every two weeks I'm going to fast uh, breakfast and lunch and then I'll have supper that night. All right, if you do that, is that active or passive? Yes. It's active in the sense that you are being intentional. You're doing very particular things out of your conviction and your trust in what you know about the body and how you believe this is going to affect your health. But it's passive in the sense that what is fasting? It's not doing. It's, it's a not eating for the benefit of the body. So is it active or passive? It's both. Faith is like that. Faith in its core is not what I do. I do things out of the faith I have. Responses, behaviors. But faith is not me doing. It's receiving and trusting. And then out of that I act. Um, lots to think about here. Here's, here's the big one I want us to consider. So often when we're together and we're, and we're looking at what the scriptures say about our lives, something that we keep coming back to is that scripture calls us to do things that at first blush it can sound like, oh, this is this new thing that I need to have in my life. But if we'll stop and think about it, it's calling us to just reorient things we're already doing. For instance, scripture talks about meditating on God's word, meditating on what God has said. So you can hear that and think, oh, wow, I've never been a meditator, but I guess I need to, like, meditate now. We are meditating already. When you and I worry, and we're just going over something in our mind, and we start to awfulize it and reflect on it and just kind of stew about it till it affects our insides and even our behaviors, that's meditation. It's a life-robbing kind of meditation. God wants you to have a life-giving meditation. Uh, when we say, hey, we're, we're, we're made to worship God and we come together to worship God. Maybe you don't come from any kind of a religious background and you think, well, okay, wow, I guess maybe I've got to learn how to become a worshiping person. We are already worshiping persons. When you look at something and you look to it to give you joy and refreshment and life and identity, you are worshiping it. The stuff that you'll let your money flow the freest to is what you worship. We're already worshiping. There's life-robbing worship, and there's life-giving worship. And I think the same tr holds true here. When I'm talking about faith, you, you know, you might be thinking, okay, now I've got like friends and family that are really people of faith, and I just, I really have not been a person of faith. I guess I'm going to have to learn like what it means to be a person of faith. We are already people of faith. Every person in this room has assurance of things that they hope for. That, that, that you're convicted of things that you can't see. 
but you're acting and making decisions and prioritizing on the basis that it's true. Um, let me give an example. And I've, I've used this one somewhat recently, but I think, it's, I think it's relevant. It may be that for some of you, the, the main obstacle to really placing your faith in Christ alone for a relationship with God and to know that you have eternal life, it may be because you've got friends or co-workers or family that are in other religions or they're in no religion. And so you're going, hey, look, I love, I love my Muslim friend. I love my Hindu friend. I love my agnostic friend. I want everybody to be okay. Look, where I'm coming from, all the roads lead to God. And we're all expressing that in different cultural contexts and different ways. But the, the way I'm approaching this is I'm, I don't want to clobber them with Jesus and I don't want to get clobbered with Jesus because I don't believe there's any one way. I think all the roads lead up the mountain to God. How do you know that? And I'm not asking that to be snarky. I'm saying, do you understand? Unless you have looked at the whole mountain, there's no way for you to know that that's true, to be convicted of that thing that you have not yet seen. If you and I have not interacted with souls that are already departed, who've already left the body, and said, okay, wow, so that Muslim soul and that Jewish soul and that Christian soul and that Buddhist soul and that agnostic soul, they all ended up fine. They all flourished after death, so we're, we're, we're all good. Unless you know that, then that is a faith commitment out of which you are acting. It's shaping your life. When the Bible calls us to faith, it's not saying do this thing you've never done before. It's saying you, you already have faith. But there is life-giving faith and there is life-robbing faith. And the beautiful thing is what God in His Word calls you to is faith that gives life. So what does faith produce? And I'm going to be brief here and we'll hopefully unpack this as we go. Faith, first off, it, it produces and it shapes your doctrine. Now, I don't know if that's a yucky word to you, doctrine, if it sounds like theology or dogmatics or something like that. But we all have doctrines. And let's go back to that example. If, if I say, hey, look, I, I'm, I'm not going to get in a big to-do about what I believe, and I'm not going to make a big to-do out of what you believe. I think we're all good. I think we're all after the same thing. That's doctrine. That is dogmatic. Look in verse 3 of chapter 11. It says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Well, we can't say that. We don't know. We don't have video. That's right. But everybody makes claims about the origin of the universe. So what is the writer doing? He's putting his cards on the table and saying, yes, we don't have video. We don't have just lockbox proof. It is by faith that we don't just theorize, but that we know that God spoke every molecule into existence, not out of pre-existing matter. He spoke existence into nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. We know it by faith. 
uh, years ago when Carl Sagan, the astronomer, when he came out with the work Cosmos, it was both a book and a and the TV series. He started the book by saying, the cosmos is all there is, all there ever has been, all there ever will be. That is a faith statement. So yet, your faith forms your, uh, your doctrine. Look, there was a book that came out several years ago by a writer for the New York Times, David Brooks. You may have heard of him. He's, he's spoken in Greenville before. Listen to this, and this actually overlaps with last week's sermon. Uh, if you weren't here last week, we looked at a passage from the Gospels where you've got two sisters in a house. Jesus comes into their house. One sister is sitting at Jesus' feet, and she's listening to him. Jesus commends her for doing that. One sister is very busy, busy serving, very distracted by lots of things. And Jesus is very kind to her, but he addresses her frenetic activity. We said we can relate a lot to that sister. Listen to what David Brooks says. This is from a book called On Paradise Drive, How We Live Now and Always Have in the Future Tense. Americans are future-oriented. Listen to this. There is an exalted noble dream of democratic greatness buried at the core of our achievement ethos. Does anybody here have an achievement ethos or want their children to have? If you have children, do you want them to have an achievement ethos? He says there is an optimistic faith in the basic goodness of every individual and it will show itself when the obstacles to achievement are removed when people are given a chance to bloom as so many foreign visitors have noticed we are a people with an unbounded faith in the true inner self in our own essential goodness your your doctrine is established by what you believe deep down your faith commitment deep down. Whether you're Christian or not, for the Christian, we believe what we believe by faith. Uh, I've, I've shared with you, I remember once I was at a, a coffee place downtown years ago and I was talking with one of you and, uh, and we were talking about biblical things. And I remember, and, and it's one of those things where I was on this end of the table and the person in the other table, we were almost like back to back, and so I'm talking to one of you, and I said something about, well, you know, one day when Christ returns, he, 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 he's going to transform that in the new heavens and the new earth. And I said that, you know, audibly, and I saw the coffee cup of the person next to me go, like, are y'all Scientologists, or are you into, like, science fiction, or that just sounds crazy? Yeah, it can it can. The, the, I, I have no video of the future of the universe. But I believe in the new heavens and the new earth by faith. Uh, faith produces your practice. Not just your doctrine, but your practice. Um, look up back in chapter 10... Look in verse 38. This is a quote from Habakkuk. An important quote. It says, My righteous one shall live by faith. Not just believe a bunch of things. My righteous one shall live by faith. Then go down to 11, chap, uh, chapter 11, verse 4. By faith, 
Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. That's the sons of Adam. By faith, he did that thing. Look in verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark. Which took like a century to build. Very tangible, very tactile, very active. How did he do that? By faith. That's the refrain of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, by faith, by faith. People did these things by faith. Faith produces your actions. Let me go back to the David Brooks book. Here's the very next paragraph. Listen to how he's describing what you do flows out of your faith. And this is not a Christian book. As anybody who looks at this is a complicated word, meritocratic life, meritocracy, a life where the pecking order is by merit. As anybody who looks at meritocratic life knows, this creed is not easy on its disciples. There is no rest. This overlaps with last week. Expectations don't sleep. There's a little voice saying, not there yet. Parents expect colossal things from their children. And from an early age, kids feel the burden of those goals. They measure the progress by their prowess. Whatever you are doing, you should never be merely as good tomorrow as you are today. Capacities are there to be cultivated, heading towards some never-achieved perfection. Why do so many children and so many adults in the United States live in a pressure cooker? It flows from faith commitments. That if I have a faith in self or a faith in improvement or a faith in a better me in the future, then I will work feverishly. Faith produces actions, whether life-giving or not. But I want to end with this because, guys, what I want to do is preach the gospel. I want to preach the good news. And, and, and if I leave this part out, and what everything I said is true, but... Here's the gospel, is that faith produces your commendation. Uh, in other words, when God made human beings, when he made Adam, when he made Cain and Abel's dad, he shaped him out of the soil of the ground and he breathed life into him. And when Adam became a living human being, the first thing or person that he saw was God's face. And as I like to say, we never got over it. That the thing that we were made for and the thing that you and I most crave, whether you know this about yourself or not, I'm going to say this by faith, that the thing your soul, the real you most craves is that God in all his divinity, in all his power, would look at you and go, I like you. And I enjoy you. And I want you to be with me. I commend you. Well, how do you get that? Look at the passage. Chapter 11, verse 2. By it, by faith, the people of old received their what? Commendation. Who commended them? God commended them. Look down chapter 11 verse 6. Without faith, 
it is impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Do you please God? Do you get God to look at you and say, I like you and I enjoy you and I commend you by how much you obey? He wants us to obey. No act of obedience will go unrecognized by him. But what is the basis of that face looking at you and commending you? It is by faith. It's not because of my faith. Because of Jesus. But it comes to me through faith. If I just take God at his word. Can God see me as righteous? Look at 11. Chapter 11 verse 4. By faith Abel offered God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Through which he was commended as righteous. Look at the end of our passage. Verse 7. By this. He, that's Noah, condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Can you believe that God in his word says, if you will just trust me, I'll commend you as righteous. Because that is precisely what he says. Let me be brief here and I'm done. I said there's two places where Jesus was wowed by somebody. The other one is recorded in Matthew and Luke. That a, a Roman centurion, a Roman living in Judea, sent a messenger to Jesus to say, Please come to my house and heal this servant. I have this servant valuable to me. Come heal him. So Jesus is on the way there. And then the, the Roman centurion sent another group of people to say, You know what? Don't come in my house. I don't deserve for you to come in my house. But if you just say the word, I've I've got people under me. I tell them to do something, they do it. I've got people over me. They tell me to do something, I do it. If if you just say the word, he'll be healed. And it says in Matthew and in Luke that Jesus looked around. I wish I could have seen this. Jesus looked around at the people around him and said, I have not found such faith in Israel. And this Roman trusts me. Yeah, he will respond to you and me that way when we trust him. Do you not have faith? Ask him to give you faith. He's very generous. Amen. Let's pray. Father, this is so much to, to chew on. Please take your word, feed your people, challenge us, draw us to yourself. Give the person wanting faith, needing faith, give him or her faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.